0: All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty DeFaro. Only seen here out of Indie Music TV. Abe, dragging your ass in here at six p.m. What's going on, brother?
1: Much man, just hanging out.
0: We had a, we're not allowed to talk about it, but we had some interesting conversations this week. Yeah. Can we have a quick conversation without having the conversation? Do you think we're both capable of doing that?
1: I think so. I think I, can, I think I can talk about it a little So bit.
0: what were your thoughts about everything that went on this week? And I want to get my guest involved here, too, but we just got to get this off. I have to get it off my chest without saying it. What, I did, mean, you, what did you think?
1: I thought, it was, I thought it was funny. You know, it's like it's, it, it was definitely very entertaining. And I think um, – oh, sorry, my phone was going off. Um, yeah, no, it was, it was very entertaining. And, and I, I think the way you handled it and your response to it was the best <laughs> thing you could have done, in my opinion, you know. I don't want to say too much. I'm afraid to say too much. You yeah, you we,
0: don't want, we don't want to start that shit crazy all over again, right? I, so, know, I know. Trust me, I really want to let everybody in <laughs> on it, but I just I can't. After this week, forget about it. Anyway, welcoming this great guest, Blake
2: Bulletproof Troop. Blake Bulletproof Troop, known for dropping warheads on people's foreheads. Over here with my guy, Monty, and the Pharaoh, coming to you live. Locked, cocked, and ready to rock, baby. Man, you got the you got the rap, baby. Man, nice. Got, got the gift of gab, my man. I've been doing this for a while.
0: So listen, I got to go off script a little bit, right? Because it's you know I, I'm not the super huge MMA guy. I totally respect MMA guys, and I'm not even a super pro wrestling guy, right? I'm an old, I'm old. I'm much older than you for sure. But um, I was looking at your bio, and and then meeting you in person, you are one. Now that is a pro wrestler right there, and an MMA fighter right there. This is no 100-pound lightweight, you know what I'm saying?
2: So I appreciate that. I, that's one of the things that I like about what I represent in this brand or my brand in professional wrestling is being a legitimate ass kicker. I'm six foot four, 240 pounds. And if you look at me, you're like, damn, that dude could probably fuck, some, fuck somebody up if he needed to, which is something I like about wrestling and wrestlers, particularly old-school guys. A lot of the old-school guys, you can see them in, in a room full of fans they stand out like somebody who could do some damage. Not bashing anybody in particular, but you see a lot of today's wrestlers in a room full of fans, and you don't know who the wrestler is and who the fan is, which to each their own, but I like standing out as a professional ass kicker who looks like he could beat up just about anybody in any room.
0: Well, without a doubt, if I saw you in an airport, I'd be like, this dude is like, this guy something right you know something's going on there i don't know what you're doing you know football player mma guy whatever but you're definitely have you always been into like weightlifting and physical activity
2: so yeah i've always been into fitness i got my bachelor's degree in exercise science i've been playing sports just about my whole life but i wouldn't say i was always this uh, necessarily this big i've always been relatively jacked but it's hard for me to put on muscle um I'm what we call a hard gainer in, in exercise science. And so it's been a lot of effort in terms of not just lifting at the gym, but eating as well, because eating's half the battle for putting on size. So it's taken me a long time to get this big, but I have always been into fitness and sports um, and been a competitive athlete my, my entire life.
0: Okay, so Blake, how old are you right now? 36 years old. So you're 36. So... Somewhere around after 30, right, males' testosterone starts to deplete just naturally, right? Right. Um, How does that affect your training? Are you, uh, I don't want to call it enhancing, but are you helping yourself?
2: So um, in combat sports, particularly at the levels that I was competing at, you get tested for performance-enhancing drugs, testosterone being one of those. But like you said, pushing 30 or so, I moved out here to Florida. I moved out to Florida December of 2020 when COVID was in full swing in California to pursue professional wrestling training full time. So that was three years ago. I was 33 at the time. And once I made the complete shift into professional wrestling at about 33-ish or so, 32 maybe, I absolutely began utilizing testosterone replacement to help with recovery, performance enhancement, and Mm -hmm. so forth. So luckily since I've been 33 or so, I haven't necessarily had to deal with the consequences of getting old in terms of testosterone production. Um but I also live a very he- healthy lifestyle, I take a lot of supplementation of things to make my body run as sm- smoothly as possible, but at the same time uh father times undefeated, you know. So right. like it, it absolutely helps. I mean,
0: me. I wish I would have known more about you know testosterone replacement therapy because at some point and I'm 56, right? So at some point my levels are like at 100, and I was always a pretty he- heavy weightlifter for a long, long time, and it's like the minute I started you know shooting every week, and I'm not and I'm not doing a lot of it. I'm doing like 50 milligrams, which is probably nothing, right? Um, to me. I think every male should be doing it. I think it's a it's a game changer.
2: I agree 100%. And I think that as people get older, I think it would help a lot with not just people's uh, physical performance, but I think mood enhancement, a variety yeah. of different things with homeostasis within the body, where I, I highly recommend people go get blood work done and find out the right ways to go about it so that it's supervised in the, in the appropriate manner. But I, it's something that I highly recommend to grown men, particularly... I mean, you start talking mid-30s, mid-40s or even beyond there. I think that it is absolutely something that is essential to a lot of people living their best life.
0: You got your NWA power hat on. And I was just thinking, right, uh, we had EC3 in here twice. First time he was in here, had this great interview. And then he comes back and he's already the NWA World Heavyweight Champion. So. If anything, in 2024, our luck will, Monty DeFrau will rub off on you, and hopefully maybe you'll become, next time you come around, we'll see you as the new NWA champion.
2: I That's one of the goals that I have for 2024, is to become the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Um, I think that's, I'm only 26 months into my professional wrestling career. So that's absolutely a very big aspiration and goal to set. But I think set big goals, you know, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land amongst the stars. So this year, 2024, I am going to become the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. Nice, nice. And I might have to go through my mentor, EC3, to get there. EC3 is actually somebody that I work closely with. The dude and I actually met through EC3 yeah. with Control Your Narrative, which I worked with um, for a good amount of time, starting from Free the Narrative 3, which I was in, and then a handful of the other shows. Um, So EC3 is somebody that I've looked up to, that I've watched go out there and build something of his own. And now I've seen him become the NWA World's Heavyweight Champion. So EC3 is somebody that I really respect and look up to, particularly in an industry full of people that I can be very critical of. Um, He's somebody that I really respect and... He ser- should be at the top of the mountain and would love to potentially have the opportunity to square off against him inside of the National Wrestling Alliance ring.
0: He certainly is a role model, right? Here's a guy. He's, he's been in all the major organizations. Um, obviously had some struggles, uh, especially in the WWE. But he was able to carve his way. You know, it's a, if you're not in AEW or you're not in the WWE, right, it's kind of hard you know, hard to carve your way through that it, the the wrestling industry. Uh I'm a huge NWA guy, always have been. Um, but you know, it's still trying to get where it has to go. So I think you I think you got a good role model there. And, you know, being your age, you, there's, there's a lot of potential there for sure. Absolutely. Got the build, got the talk. We're gonna get into that transition. We're gonna get into your early life, but and and things like that. But I wanna do go do some news items with you if you're okay. Absolutely, that, right? let's do it. All right, so I'm going to paraphrase here, right? So we all know what's going on between Jimmy Kimmel and Aaron Rodgers, right? Kimmel uh, went on attack on his show about unvaccinated people, uh, talking to the audience that uh, people who are unvaccinated are causing pain for everybody else and filling up the hospitals where people now can't be treated because of people's stupidity not getting vaccinated. Um, Obviously, on Pat McAvee, more recently... Aaron Rodgers accused Jimmy, Jimmy Kimmel of having Epstein connections. Uh, we know the whole Epstein thing. And uh, Jimmy Kimmel wasn't happy with that. He went back, and he went back and forth with Aaron Rodgers. Um, let's, let's start there. And we don't want to get in too much trouble, but, you know, you could be canceled, and I don't want you canceled. We've been canceled how many times, Abe? Seven? Seven times. Enough times. Um, Thoughts on Kimmel's politically correct anti-vax rant?
2: Um, you know, I will say that I lived in California at the beginning of COVID. And because of a lot of the COVID restrictions and so forth that were placed on the Californians during that period of time, I left California. I live in Florida now. Um. I'm a big believer in freedom and being able to live your life as you want to live it. So if people don't want to get vaccinated, I think that's on them. If people want to I self-identify as a fucking hot dog, then that's on them. You know, I think let people live their lives to the risk that they want to have. Um, it's kind of my feeling on it. Um, well, let me ask
0: you this, Blake. At what point is enough enough, though? Like, uh, you know, what if eventually someone wants to marry their dog or maybe an aunt or – a cockroach. Are we going to continue to allow this to happen? I mean, when is enough enough?
2: It's a great question. I don't know. It's great. Well, let me ask when you I get When I get the answer to that, I'll run for president. You,
0: you, yeah, you'll run for president. They, that's a great answer. So what did you think of Aaron Rodgers? Obviously, they have a back and forth. Do you think Aaron Rodgers is out of line with the whole Epstein uh, I
2: think that that is, in today's climate, I think that is a big statement to make without any evidence or something to back that up.
0: What because about what, think, a, what about general shit talking, right? Kimmel's got his own show; he has a lot to say, and he can get away with it. And someone wants to shit talk back. Why is everything taken so um, literal?
2: So I guess with the shit talking, where I'm a big fan of shit talking, and I heard some of the quotes back and forth. Like one thing that Jimmy Kimmel said that made me laugh—that was pretty good. was, like, "Aaron Rodgers got two A's on his report card." and they're both in his name. And I was like. like <laughs> that's good That's I was a great good, right?" Yeah, sure. Like, but that's not like the Epstein thing. I could see that putting somebody's, because I heard Jimmy Kimmel was upset. He said, you know, you're putting my family potentially in danger by making claims like this, which I actually get that and agree with that. Good point. Uh, you know, where because there's a lot of people that are upset about this. This, is, this should be more front page news. It's like unofficial front page news because all the people are talking about it. It's just not all over the news. Right. You know, where people want to know what the deal is and, like, hey, who's over here fucking all these children? Because, like, yeah. I mean, to each their own and self identifies this, that, and the other. But I don't think people should be fucking kids, you know? like, And I believe a lot of people feel very strongly about that. So to say somebody is a part of this group, I do think that that potentially puts them, their family, and so forth in a potentially precarious or dangerous situation, you know, because if somebody just happens to believe that and sees them walking down the street or at dinner, whose kid got kidnapped or whatever, somebody that to potentially come down to being some type of bad situation for Jimmy Kimmel. So that's why I say if he said that without there being any basis for saying that he was on the Epstein Island or whatever, I don't think that's not right. Um,
0: you know, I didn't think about that. That's a really good point, man. You know what? You do put someone in danger. I get Maybe that's not in the best taste to throw that joke out there, right?
2: You know, but like if it's shit-talking, like I'm all for shit-talking and jokes. Especially that Aaron Rodgers, the two A's. I, 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 I popped big when I heard that.
0: All right. Judge orders Universal Music Group to give R. Kelly's remaining royalties of 567000 to his victims. The judges ruled that the R&B singer... Or Kelly remaining royalties cover the half a million dollars owed by his sexual assault victims. Thoughts on that?
2: Um, well, back to people who shouldn't be fucking children for $500. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> well, boom. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I don't really feel bad, you know, like, I think that, I, and again, I don't know all the details of his story, so I can't sit here and act like I'm an expert on the situation. Right. But from what it sounds like, he got convicted of was having sex with underage people, and as a result, he's being punished with his freedom and his finances. And like,
0: right, he's paying the price. Know? I'm
2: not necessarily mad at that. Like, there's some things I think that maybe shouldn't be as big of a deal, but I think fucking children is one of the things that should be a big deal. So like, I mean, he wanted to go fuck a bunch of kids. Now he's getting fucked by the system, and I don't really feel that bad about it, to be honest.
0: Well, we're kind of rolling this up, so I got to ask you. Right here, you are. You're this. You're famous, right? MMA guy, pro wrestler, fuck, you're an actor, stuntman, you're everything, bro. Good-looking guy, built like a brick shit house, smart dude. How's it out there being famous with the women now, right? So back in the day, we talked about old school wrestling, the shit that went on, and some things probably not so nice, and some things people were okay with, whatever. Now you make the wrong move, you could be you you could be canceled. What do you do now? Like what what is your spidey sense going every time you're walking around?
2: What's the deal? You know, it's definitely a tough, precarious situation to potentially be in because it also becomes a lot of he said, she said. And unfortunately in today's environment, when it comes to men and women in weird sexual situations and stuff, the man's guilty until found proven innocent. Which and I'm not gonna say you should always believe a victim or you shouldn't or whatever, like but it does come down to a tough situation where you have to be very careful because, you know, let's say you get put in the situation. You got to prove that that wasn't what happened. You know, I'm like women lie. There's been like a, I've seen a video of a girl in her bed. And she's like punching herself in the head. She's mm-hmm. saying, say, oh, it was my husband. And thank God that dude had a security camera showing her punching herself in the head, you know, like.
0: Yeah, but even roll it that way. There's the video. People still won't believe it. They'll still think that the guy did it anyway, no matter what the proof or is. Or what right? did he
2: do to make her want to do that? You're like, <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, it definitely becomes a little tough, and I think that people need to be protective of themselves. And that, But I also think another big part of, and like given that I think the girl punching herself is a different situation, but in terms of like, sexual relationships, is being honest with people. I think people do a lot of this stuff out of spite because they feel like they got played or lied to or this, that, or the hmm. other. Where if people were just straight up and honest and everybody knew what they are getting involved with, there might not be such spite when things go sour where someone wants, like, I'm going to come try and ruin your life now. Probably because they're really hurt because they were so in love or this, that, or the other. I mean, I can't say it's for every situation, but I think honesty would go really, go further in preventing people from acting like lunatics. Well, let me ask you, Matt
0: Riddle, I mean, you know Matt at all personally? I don't know him personally. You know the deal that was going on with him with numerous women, uh I don't want to say numerous some women complaining about him. Uh, what are your thoughts like about that type of stuff? Right. Here's a woman who dated Matt Riddle and then the minute he broke up with her, he she pretty much destroyed his career.
2: You know, I I think timing of things always makes me a little bit weary. Um if things were that bad, you know, and so forth, but you guys are still together. And then we break up and all of a sudden he's the worst person in the world. Like I don't know enough details about that specific situation, but I will say that I know people that know Matt personally. And Matt's a good-looking guy who's got a lot of stuff going for him, and I hear he's got a lot of swagger where it's like I'd be surprised at a guy put it like that putting himself in a bad situation or a situation where the girl wasn't interested in it. Mm-hmm. Maybe at some point she got turned off by it, but – I. It's hard to speak on oh, Maybe of like you said, just kicked it to the
0: curb, it. and then she was unhappy, and then she was. Then like, spiteful. I will destroy. I'm going to get
2: you back, motherfucker. Right. Exactly.
0: How was that for sneaking <laughs> that in? A eh? be like that one. That was pretty good, right? Okay. Anyway, um, at nine o'clock after you today, I've got the author of Monster Mirror. It's the. Uh, he spent over 100 hours with David Berkowitz, the son of Sam. I know you're a younger guy, but do you remember the son of Sam at all? Who was that? The son of Sam, David Berkowitz.
2: Yes, yeah, so he was a serial killer. Back in the 70s. Huge thing in New yeah, York. Yeah, son of Sam. Well, explain the son of Sam, because I do remember hearing
0: this. So a gentleman by the name of Ber- David Berkowitz, and by the way, the book is Monster Mirror. Uh, the author will be on at 9 o'clock today. David Berkowitz was a serial killer. Um he killed over, I think, thirty people. If I'm right, uh, it was almost a weekly occurrence throughout the summer of what seventy eight, I think. Anyway, long story short, David went to jail, and now he's a, a born again Christian, and uh, he's found Jesus, and he, is looking. You know, he, he's looking for forgiveness and everything else. What are your thoughts about that? Like, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer eats people. David Berkowitz kills a bunch of people, and then they find God. I mean, do you think if they truly find God, they should be forgiven?
2: I mean, if by forgiven, you mean released from prison? then No, 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 not
0: released. <laughs> Just, like, uh, forgiven by people are, like, for, you know, and I don't want to get too deep in the religious thing, but it's like he goes on to the afterlife. Is Jesus waiting for him and says, hey, look, you you, you really didn't want to eat those ten people, you know? Eat their brains and fingers and whatever else you would do and and I see that you're want forgiveness for it. I mean, do you have a hard time forgiving people for something like that? Um, let's even turn it to child child abuse, right? having sex with children. you know a guy has sex with eight children, and all of a sudden he in his heart he feels like he's you know i'm I, I'm sorry for what I did. I didn't really mean to do that.
2: yeah, it's a tough one, and because I think a lot of people hide behind religion, and I'm not saying everybody does or so mm-hmm. forth sure. But I feel like religion can be something that a lot of people can hide behind. And I think this is a a situation which people could hide behind it, and maybe not necessarily be genuine behind the message. And maybe they are, but if they're fucking children are killing people, I think they should be in jail. So like, pray, praise the Lord, forgive them, blah 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 blah. This and that, but like. He's still gonna die in jail in my opinion
0: i think they should put you like in a, a, a cell with you and let you have like five minutes with them there'd be nothing left of them right yeah right <laughs> <laughs> i'd like to thank the band that sings a the theme song for montana Faro and jimmy farrow along with his partner bart griggs make up the band wisteria hall wisteria hall sings such great songs as in my dreams this life not far behind here comes a rain you can find their music on the wisteria hall youtube page hit that like and subscribe Get him on Spotify, Apple Music, Reverb Nation. If you didn't know it, you are watching Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty Nefaro. Catch Monty Nefaro on the YouTube page, Monty Nefaro on the Facebook Live page. Hear us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Anchor. Catch us on the Monty Nefaro Twitch TV page. And if you're lucky enough to live in New York, catch us on Channel 115 every Tuesday at 9.30 p.m. and Saturday at 11.30 a.m. and Channel 20 on Tuesdays at 7 p.m. where you have this MMA pro wrestling legend in a reduced version of this interview. Also, we're part of something called the Intuitive Network. That's I-N-2-I-T-I-V-E Network. Go on there. Get your free music, comedy, drama, and, of course, Monty and the will we'll be right back after this quick message. Sir, ah manscape Uh uh-huh uh you know have you tried the new equipment that's been sent i'm afraid because it says weed whacker (laughs) i'm scared
1: maven manscape what are you thinking about manscape dude love it it. what do you use it for necessity what what don't i use it for put it this way (laughs) the only hair i have on my entire body is these eyebrows yeah that you see these caterpillars racing to the middle of my nose that's it (laughs) that is it that's all that's all i have and that's all i want That's the So
0: manscaped is a must. We were talking before the show, there's nothing worse than just hair.
1: Yeah. Right? Hair on a woman, hair on a man. It's just bad. Absolutely. And it's the one thing that the older I get, it starts growing more in unwanted areas. Absolutely. I hate it.
0: I'm going to ask you a question. Uh Uh-oh. Just going to go out there. Oh, boy. Go for it. You're doing a deed. Yes. Again, I (laughs) don't want you to have to admit this because we... As men, we try not to admit this, but if you're going to go oh, do I a deed where, on a woman, I know would you rather going. have her be hairless or a little
1: hair, racing stripe, or <laughs> racing full
0: stripe. <laughs> retro bush?
1: Racing well, stripe. Retro bush is out. Yes, thank you. Retro bush is out. Yeah. Um, I don't mind a small, well-manicured landing strip. <laughs> Every now and then, if it's completely, and I'm talking like baby's ass bald. Then I I start. Where is that pedophilia line that I'm that I'm? I don't I am i do not wow. want to wander into that. That's very, very interesting. Like that.
0: I never thought about wow. that. you're a
1: smart, dude. Holy so shit. if the landing strip is clean enough for the plane to go in smoothly, you're cool with that. If the landing strip is has like I said, well manicured. Yeah, you yeah. can see both sides. It's not like blinking lights on both sides I, of that. Landing? I just don't. I don't want. <laughs> you know, I don't want the shrubbery going off into yeah. unwanted areas on that. Gotcha. As well. Oh, look what you found! Ooh, I gotta be all honest though. Hey, the Ah. the the older (laughs) I get though, I don't. I think I don't think I can be as. uh, as, I found it! I found it! Have you ever gone
0: down there and like just like she slowly brings down the underwear? Then what is? Retro, Just absolutely. You're like, whoa, wow, yeah, like a 46.
1: Do you like walk out, or what do you do? No, I, tr- I muster through. I muster up the <laughs> you courage. To get <laughs> yeah. He's a trooper. he's
2: a trooper. Gotta give him an yeah, A. Oh, not mile. all,
1: we, not all heroes wear capes. Yeah, there you go. you. I couldn't, I couldn't Super say. Bush. I couldn't say. Well,
0: <laughs> if you have the same beliefs as Maven does, manscape could help you. Absolutely. Weed whacker. Absolutely. What are you thinking?
1: I'm thinking that I may have to, like, you know, go in a room, close the door, and hang out with the Weed Whacker for a little while. Yeah, I
0: think you're a retro guy, aren't you? I like 70s adult films, if that's what you're getting at. Huh? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, but with that, we're we going to take a quick Batman. commercial break, <laughs> anyway. and we we'll be back with this wrestling icon, Maven.
1: We will see you in a drop kick. Second to drop oh. kick.
0: All right, welcome back to Long Island's number one pro wrestler broadcast, Monty Nefaro, where we have the honor of having the great Blake Bulletproof Troop in the house. Thank you, sir, for taking the time out out of your busy schedule to joining the show. So, unfor- well, I don't want to say unfortunately, but sometimes I have to ask questions because some of the fans pay to have that question asked. So this, this one I really don't want you to answer, but I'm going to ask it to you anyway. Was Pat Patterson on the Epstein list? We don't know, man. Sorry, we can't answer that question, especially when this man wants to eventually be in another organization (laughs) where Pat Patterson is recognized at a pretty high level. Um, So we were talking during break, being an MMA guy and being – real deal you you know how hard is that transition to pro wrestling we were talking about if someone gets stiff with you are they scared because they know what you can actually do almost like Brock Lesnar what's the deal there
2: so I'd say the first part of transitioning over and being a mixed martial artist um, and combat sports athlete is I want to talk about how easy the transition was in terms of a lot of the fluidity professional wrestling moves the roots of all that come down to real wrestling and so you're manipulating combat sports i'm manipulating a fully resisting opponent same thing with regular style wrestling the difference is now i'm pretending to manipulate them so all i really got to do is guide people so it's utilizing a lot of the same techniques and understanding how a body or joint works where i can grab somebody's arm and i know exactly which ways i can twist it and do this or that where i can almost float to different things. Um, And then also with striking where I've drilled striking given I'm trying to uh, put a bunch of power into my target. But at the same time, the mechanics of the attack are the exact same thing. So I have the mechanics down already and a lot of the control for my body where I can throw really mean-looking punches that are just millimeters, a centimeter from someone's face or wherever it may be. So there's absolutely advantages in terms of the transferability of having a background in combat sports to coming into professional wrestling. But like you mentioned, there's also some other aspects of that that come in where being a legitimate combat sports athlete, I'm in there imposing my will. Professional wrestling, it's not an imposing of wills. It is a theatrical imposing of wills. How do we get in here and and give and take? And in a fight, it's all take, 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 take. I'm not trying to give it all. So being able to learn to slow things down or give openings or opportunities wasn't crazy hard, um, but you absolutely can figure out where these turn roads are or crossroads are where you can get to a spot and then pass the wheel back and forth. Um, and I think one thing that has gotten me into a little bit of hesitation maybe around me is I'm six foot four, two 240 pounds, and nobody's really sure what happens when I accidentally get punched in the face. Am I going to get mad? Am I going to hit smack? Well, what's going to happen? Because people are not sure. Is Bulletproof Troop going to snap in there? And you're going to have to wait and find out, baby. Bang, bang! (laughs) That's not good.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Life makes the man. Tell me a little bit about you growing up as a child, maybe a little bit about your parents. Like, what made made Bulletproof?
2: So, um, I'm the second oldest out of five children. I have an older brother, two years older than me. My next younger sibling is actually four years younger than me. It's actually my sister's birthday today, the one who's four years younger Happy than me. Happy birthday. Happy birthday, Brooke. Um, and then two more younger brothers after that. So I grew up with an older brother. So I grew up playing rough, and I grew up as an older brother. So I grew up playing like rough with my younger siblings and my older siblings. So I always enjoyed playing rough, and I played sports growing up. A lot of my family played sports growing up. And so it was kind of a natural um, – transition into combat sports I started training kickboxing in freshman year of high school not with the intention of doing combat sports but I had a friend who was overweight and he's like hey you want to do kickboxing with me to to lose weight and so I was like all right let's do it and this is back in 2000 maybe 2001 when the fight game was very very new this is not like today where you can throw a rock and hit a jiu-jitsu school on any block on the the street jiu-jitsu wasn't around like it was today or isn't around like it is today. And so my friend just happened to pick a kickboxing school in Los Angeles that had a whole bunch of really legit people at it. So I started training with legitimate people back in 2001. Um, And so I got lucky to just be introduced to a legitimate fight scene very early in my life. And being an older brother and having an older brother and playing rough, I automatically, and being a competitive athlete my whole life, I really fell in love with combat sports. And, um, like I said, second oldest out of five. My older brother's kind of a troublemaker. I was a pretty good kid, and then there were the three younger kids. So, being the second oldest out of five and being a pretty good kid, I felt like I got a little bit neglected growing up. And as a result, it's made me really strive to go after massive, massive things in my life, um, which I'm currently doing. You know, I've been fighting professionally now for a decade. Transferred into professional wrestling several years ago. I'm 26 months in um, wrestling with the National Wrestling Alliance. And I know. Professional wrestling's a work, but I'm like 40 and three in singles matches where I've been coming out and I've been crushing it in pro wrestling, which I'm really excited about. Um, and I don't remember the question because sometimes I just talk, just, but I haven't no, punched no, the head far I'll, too long for work. What,
0: what molded you as, as a man? But, you know, as, as I'm listening to you speak, I'm thinking to myself, look, you, like, what make, you, you like the combat sport aspect, right? When 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 you knock someone out cold, what's the emotion do you feel? Do you feel like good? Do you feel mm, kinda of bad? Like you know, you I kinda of think about Tyson, right? Turning that off, right? Turning that animal instinct off must be very difficult. Especially for someone like you too, right? You're MMA guy or whatever. What are your feelings when you actually hurt someone? And it's you know, it's different from football and baseball and basketball. Let's call it like it is. You're actually, you're hurting someone.
2: Right. The goal is in the win. The goal's go hurt somebody. Yeah. Um, how, how do how do you what's what's what goes through your mind? So, I would say there's a certain level of detachment from the violence that happens where I can go hit somebody and it's. I mean, it just I can go I can go punch my best friend in the face because. For years and years and years, I fought all my best friends every Friday. You know, I'm fighting professionally for like a decade. We'd spar on Friday. So, like, I'd fight my friends almost every Friday for the last 10 years almost, you know. So, mm-hmm. like, there's a detachment from being violent with somebody, whether I know them or don't know them or or whatever, um, which sounds super like, serial killer-ish, now that I say it out loud. Well,
0: no, Son of Sam! (laughs) But, but that's a legitimate thing, like, you're in a, you get in a relationship with woman, right? I'm assuming, right? Um, then please don't, don't assume my
2: gender. Don't, right, right, don't Don't get the shit out of me, I don't don't want to assume anything. the eighth time.
0: But, how do you turn that off? Like, what if the old lady, you know, pisses you off one day, and it's like, you know, how do you, how do you stop that? Um, I mean, we've seen actual, like, Tyson type of guys that just, just can't control it. because, And you can't blame them, right? Because you've got to be
2: on. So I, I definitely feel like it depends on the person where I feel like communications are big. I'm a big communicator. I talk about things, and, like, I could see somebody who didn't have the communication ability feeling like you just got to rely back on physical force because, like, at the end of the day, there's something I always say is violence is the most convincing form of communication. You can convince almost anybody just about anything. I can, <laughs> I can go outside and convince someone walking down the street to give me their wallet with a little violence. Or even just threat of violence.
0: By the way, but, I'm copywriting that. I'm taking that you from like you. I like that. Good, I love right? that. I love it.
2: Um, but at the same time, it's not always the best form of communication. You know, like, I think like something like with a loved one is you go hit a loved one. And how much are they going to trust you and have that vulnerability with Right. You know, um Or how
0: about a friend, right? They know you. you know, hey, we're close friends and all of a sudden we're in a heated argument. We everybody gets in arguments also it's like, Oh shit, this dude's just gonna now just go f fucking ape shit on me, son of Sam shit on me, right?
2: Right. Um I mean I think it just depends on a person's ability to communicate. Um But I totally get where you're coming from about being worried. Like, is this dude about to hit me?
0: (laughs) Well, I had Mark Coleman in here, right? And Mark had a heart attack. And, like, one of my questions was, you know, hey, after your heart attack, did it make you feel less of a man? Here you are, super physical guy. Are you concerned when the body starts to break down you got nothing to offer?
2: Yeah, um, 100%. Um, And so the thing is, I wouldn't feel like it's quote unquote having nothing to offer. I just need to maximize the, the amount of juice from the squeeze I can get from the things that I can do at this point in time where I do analyst work now, where I'm trying to do a variety of other things outside of the in-ring performance, which I'll be honest, once that's gone, the in-ring stuff, whether it's competitive, professional wrestling, or fighting, it'll definitely be a, I don't want to say a difficult time, but like a figuring some stuff out because, you know, it's, it is a big outlet. And, and like being, not just have a being in the spotlight. What happens when that's done? And I'm not entirely sure because you see a lot of very high-level athletes go from being massive superstars in the spotlight to to not, you know. And I don't want to say fade into irrelevancy, but, like, there's a difference being in front of the camera and then in the room with the camera or even not in the room with the camera. And if you go from doing big things in the spotlight to not – I can't even tell you what that transition's like because I'm still in the spotlight, right. you know? But I'm trying to do as much as I can so that I have other positions and um, sources of income around the sport and not just in it because at the end of the day, there is a very short shelf life for fighters, pro wrestlers. I'm already 36 years old, which isn't necessarily old, but I'm not 20. I'm not You're, you're, you're right. You're 20s. right in the middle.
0: You're right in the middle, ready to make the move, and you're in the NWA, so that's the, you're, you're getting there. So you're there. You're there. Why did, you live, why did you leave MMA?
2: Why did I leave the Mixed Martial Arts? Yeah. So, the last fight of mine was supposed to be March 13th, 2020. Main event on the Fox Sports Network for Lights Out of Stream Fighting's heavyweight title. And if you're good with dates, you'll know I said March 13th, 2020. And March 12th, the world started shutting down because mm. of COVID. hmm I woke up the day of weigh March 12th to find out the biggest fight of my career was canceled due to COVID. hmm And I'm in Los Angeles. And so three weeks to flatten the curve. All right. Three weeks. Six weeks. Nine weeks. Twelve weeks. Three months. Six months. Where it got to the point where, and like given after two, three months, we're still back training at the gym and stuff. But life shut down in California. Basically all of 2020. And it continued through probably mid-2021 until the world really started opening up in California. So by the time December of 2020 hit, I moved to Florida because I felt like I needed to continue to progress in my life and move towards what I was trying to do because I didn't have time to just sit with my dick in my hand in California cause for, for who knows how long. Right. So, um, like I said, March 13th was supposed to be the fight. The uh, world started shutting down, and I started working online courses, doing a, a weekly Zoom call with a coach named Chris Silvio, wrestling coach. And so we did a whole variety of different things relating to character development, academic approach, professional wrestling matches, how they're set up.
0: Slow down real quick. Now I got to understand this. So where do you find a guy that's doing professional wrestling training via Zoom? Like, how does even someone find that?
2: So, um, I, through my professional wrestling network, um, the Hameen Media Group, shout out to all my people at Hameen, Bin Hameen, um, there was a post in there like, hey, Chris Silvio, professional wrestling coach, blah, 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 offering Zoom calls during COVID. And so this is very part of time where I'm like, I need to figure out how do I get better? You know, even though I go back to fighting in two months, three months, how do I make the best of my time right now? Because there's no social life. There's no nothing. And so one of the ways that I did that was starting to do Zoom calls with Chris, which started, like I said, a lot of um, basic fundamentals, like academic approaches to matches, He'd give me homework of watching matches, so I'm watching tape, building moments, watching promos, analyzing these, um, as well as a variety of different homework assignments for me to help with my brand development, catchphrases, um, and so forth. And so him and I did basically like a week, every week we did a call just about for five, six months, until finally now it's October, November, and I'm like, I need to just go to Florida and go train with this guy, because California's not opening anytime soon, it doesn't look like. And I felt like Chris Silvio had the right understanding of what I was trying to bring to pro wrestling. I wasn't trying to be Blake Troop, a guy who used to fight MMA, who now does pro wrestling. I was trying to be Blake Bulletproof Troop, the MMA fighter in professional wrestling. I was trying to bridge my brand of Bulletproof Troop within both. So it was one entity in multiple areas as opposed to one person in a few different spots, if that Mm. makes sense. Yeah. And so after working with Chris for a good amount of time, I was like, I need to go out to Tampa, Florida for... And I'd never been to Tampa before. I just moved to Tampa because I felt like Chris was the right guy for me. Moved into a house I'd, I didn't know the guy. Moved to a place I didn't know anybody but a coach that I'd been working on Zoom calls. And now, three years later, I still live in Tampa, Florida, um, which was one of the best gambles I could have taken on Ballsy myself. Ballsy move. Ballsy move. You know, and like I'm, I'm hard on a lot of people in pro wrestling because... I don't feel like a lot of people, it's, I don't feel like I'm better than people. I feel like I try harder and I'm willing to sacrifice more things. You know, People are like, oh, blood, sweat, and tears. Like, yeah. Tell me about one of the sacrifices you made for pro wrestling. Oh, uh, drive to the shows. Like, bro, we all drive. Hmm. Why well, do the training? Bro, we all train. We all do training. Like, what have you really sacrificed? I moved to a place i would never been across the country. I moved into a house I didn't know the dude. Like, I changed my entire life for professional wrestling. Not saying that's what everybody has to do during my respect, a lot of guys i think are out here putting minimal effort in and then they're thinking they're doing big things and like i'm not bashing those people but i changed everything in my life for pro wrestling mm-hmm. you know like and then i'll have people be like oh you're so lucky like lucky i don't look like this because i'm lucky like i'm not where i'm at in professional wrestling because i'm quote unquote lucky i put myself in these positions to win um you know just like i worked with chris for six months seven months before i moved out there, like you know, like people are like, man, your brand's so well put together. you only been wrestling for 26 months. Yeah, but I started Bulletproof Troop LLC in 2016. I've been doing Bulletproof Troop for eight years. Right. That's why my brand's so well refined and put a lot of thought into it. Like, luck has nothing to do with it.
0: So when you were in MAA, MMA, did you look at pro wrestling as a joke or were you always a fan of pro wrestling? So,
2: um, interesting. And so pro wrestling actually was my first love. I was born in 1987, um, and so I grew up in an era where I believe pro wrestling was 100% legitimate competition and there are two dudes really fighting each other. Around the late 90s, as kayfabe broke and became more public knowledge, um, it broke a young Blake Troop's heart, and I'm talking like 7th, 8th grade. Um, right, I'd say like right after a WWE No Mercy or WWF. It was WWF when I was growing yep. up. Mm-hmm. WWF No Mercy came out of Nintendo 64, one of my favorite video games ever <laughs> to date still. Right. But so broke a young Blake Troop's heart. And this is like, like I said, probably, what, 97, 98 maybe. Um, And around this time is when UFC was starting. And early UFC was wild. For the people who didn't like, given it's fighting people now, but, like, there were, like, no weight classes. There were almost no rules. You could punch a dude in the dick, like. Blake, I got
0: to I gotta tell you, I remember when I, I guess it was on pay per view and we used to have those hot boxes. You remember when you used yep. to press the button in the back and get all the free pay per views? Yeah, the black and box. No Se- yeah. black
2: box. This is where we're dating ourselves <laughs> here.
0: Severin was wrestled, fighting some guy and Severin was killing this guy. I'm like, S- where's
2: the referee? Stop this. The German this. suplex. Oh, and oh, he
0: was, was punched. I was like, this is insane. This is madness. But go ahead, man. I'm sorry. But
2: so. This is when UFC and like I said, early UFC was kinda wild. I me personally, I'm a purist. I'd rather see guys with no gloves, kicking the head to a down opponent, XYZ, like um but at the same time I don't think it's super socially acceptable. Back then it was wild. So it stole young Blake Troop's heart. Like I went from watching pro wrestling, which I believed in a hundred percent. K F A breaks, don't feel the same way about it. Now UFC comes out, steals my heart. Mm. Was right around the time my friends like, "Hey, I want to do kickboxing to lose weight," and I just happened to go to a legit fight gym with like legitimate people, way before fighting was like established or like mainstream. And so it stole my heart for a very long time. Um, and I wouldn't say I thought pro wrestling was stupid, but I grew away from it because it wasn't real sports to me anymore, competition. As I got older, uh, particularly <coughs> 2014, twenty fourteen, twenty fifteen. <coughs> I started seeing a lot of guys, bring, or I started noticing more guys that were bringing the entertainment value of professional wrestling personalities to combat sports. Tito Ortiz is one of the old school guys. Chael Sonnen's another guy. Conor McGregor's another guy who's really coming up at that point in time. You know, and can Connor, McGregor or Chael Sonnen or Tito Ortiz, can they fight? Yeah. The first three most important things being a fighter, being able to fight, being able to fight, being able to fight. You can't do those three things, don't matter what else you can do. But if you can do those and you can be entertaining, then you, you absolutely put yourself in positions where Connor was getting, in my opinion, favorable matchups and they're getting catapulted through the rankings because they wanted him to win. They wanted to give him a microphone. They wanted him to be a champion. Why? Because could he fight? Yeah, but he could talk. Right. And so by looking at guys like this who are getting special treatment because of their ability to be entertaining, CM Punk's another perfect example. CM Punk did not fight in the UFC because of his accolades and being a fight competitor. And I'm not bashing him. Mm-hmm. CM Punk got the ability to debut in the UFC because he's going to put asses in seats. At the end of the day, the UFC is trying to make fucking money and sell pay-per-views. Do you, th-
0: do you think the UFC tried to give Punk the easiest match possible and he still couldn't win because he I wasn't that tough of a guy? I think the easiest match
2: possible within still respecting the integrity of the UFC. They didn't give him some total bum. They gave him two guys that were... Decent guys. They weren't, you know, Mickey Gall was a brown bone jiu-jitsu. I don't care what anybody says. So so he had
0: to fight legitimate guys. Yeah,
2: I think it still respected the integrity of the UFC's spirit of competition. I don't think it was a complete gimme. I think they tried to give him guys that wouldn't go in and wreck him. But at the same time, they shouldn't. They wanted him to win the match, you know, like because the guy's entertaining. So let's
0: give him someone we, there is a chance. It should be a good matchup. Yeah, right.
2: Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. No offense to CM Punk, but they could have given him somebody who would have blown him out of the water. But they gave him some guys that he could be competitive with. And again, I'm not bashing CM Punk. And I have Mm -hmm. all the respect in the world for CM Punk for getting in there and fighting people. Uh, But what I I took away from that was if you're able to sell pay-per-views and get assets in seats, get people interested in what you're doing, then it's going to massively benefit your in-ring career and maybe even make that in-ring journey slightly easier than if you're only fighting to get to the top. 'Cause if you're fighting and being entertaining you get to the top, you will get there way easier. So instead of hating on these guys, getting opportunities that I wish I had, right, which brings back to CM Punk thing where like you're gonna debut in the UFC problem training for fifteen years and like I haven't made it to the UFC, like there was a little bit and I don't want to say like hate or spite, but almost like I should be getting that opportunity. And instead of sitting there and being like, Oh me, where, where, where how do I get special treatment too? Oh, I gotta be more entertaining. I got to be able to like cut promos, blah, blah, blah. That's why. That's 100% why I created Bulletproof Troop, LLC. And Bulletproof Troop, the character, started in 2014 after watching Conor McGregor. And being like, I need to figure out my way to do something similar to that. Which brought me back to my first love of professional wrestling. I essentially created a professional wrestling personality in combat sports. Blake Bulletproof Troop, known for dropping warheads on oh, people's foreheads, baby. Love it. Came from pro wrestling. It's 100%. And then now it's probably full circle into 100 percent professional wrestling focused competition now
0: guys like you are good for professional wrestling because it, you, you give the legit legitimacy behind it right it's like yeah we all understand that it's 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 scripted and everything else but you know brock lesnar for real will kill you if 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 really you know randy orton but a guy like you big difference yeah for sure you're in the nwa now you hear about the AEW locker room, how divided it is. You've heard all the problems they've had. You're in the industry. WWE seems to be much better than it has been recently. What's the NWA locker room right, like right um, now?
2: You know, I haven't been in a ton of locker rooms, so I can't necessarily compare it to other places. And I'm not going to go into the he said, she said about this locker or that. One thing I say about the NWA locker room, it's full of veterans that are willing to give advice. Very welcoming. And, like, I think a lot of places can be very clicky. Like, there's that group, and there's this group, and there's this group. Where, given, do people kind of hang out together? Yeah, but it's very um, inclusive in terms of, like, you could chat with different people. Or, like, you can go. And a big thing for me is you can go ask any of the veterans in the locker room, EC3, Trevor Murdoch, um any of the guys, Tyrus, when he was there, you know, hmm. any of these guys, hey, I got a match coming up. Would you watch it and give me some feedback? And they'll give you, like, good, I mean, if you'll listen. If you'll listen and take what they're actually giving you, then they'll give you some really good feedback. You know, but the guys that just are asking just to ask and not really get the feedback, I don't know what they'll get. But I go in as a competitive athlete, and, like, I'll ask for some real feedback, and they'll give it to you. Which, and, in my opinion, is, is how legitimate... much are they trying to elevate the people around them? But they'll them.
0: give you legitimate feedback, though. Oh, right? yeah. Yeah.
2: And, like, I feel like it's a very welcoming locker room where it's not like, not like, you know, I I made my debut in NWA, like, 14 months into my career. I felt very welcomed in the locker room. I didn't feel like people, like, didn't think, didn't treat me like I didn't belong or like I wasn't wasn't an equal to them. You know, given I was new, things I could do better and so forth, but but if a veteran's going to come over and give me some advice after my match, As opposed to just not say anything, and to me, that's—I'm a competitive athlete. Like, give me the advice like that. That to me is welcoming. I'm a big fan of the NWA locker room. I think from top to bottom, with Billy Corgan, all the locker room leaders in terms like EC3, Trevor Murdoch, Mike Knox, and a lot of the guys. It's a very welcoming place. I love working at the NWA.
0: So when EC3 was in here, they were just uh, NWA was just finishing that or that CW deal was just around the corner. Tough question for you. Did Corrigan make a mistake doing the cocaine gimmick with uh, James Mitchell? Did that throw uh, you guys off track?
2: So I've heard that that had something to do with things working out and not working out. I've heard that it had nothing to do with things one way or the other. Hard to say. I don't know. Um, I heard about it later. Um, But I couldn't really tell you one way or the other. I think publicity is almost always good to have. I can't speak enough on it. I don't know. I And I, I also try not to get caught up in the dirt sheets and the this and yeah, that, sure. you know, like where. Do you do you have a relationship with Corrigan? Um, I have a working relationship with Billy um, or Mr. Corgan. Like, I like Billy and I feel like I can shoot him messages and talk to him about a variety of different things. Um, you know, because I am a crossover athlete, I do like to flex for him a little bit. I was on the Fubo Sports Network last weekend doing a combat sports analyst gig with Lights Out Extreme Fighting which gets hundreds of thousands of live viewers right and on the broadcast i cut a promo about my upcoming match against joe alonzo at the nwa paranoia event in fort lauderdale which is this coming saturday and joe if you ain't been training through the holiday seasons my man it is going to be a rough night for you on saturday uh but so i i will do things like that and then i'll send that over to billy who's stoked to see his stuff in an area that's outside of professional wrestling right like i said at the end of the day These are for-profit businesses, meaning how much money can you bring to the company? And by being a crossover athlete in a similar market of combat sports, I feel like my ability to bring fans to professional wrestling or new fans pro wrestling, ideally combat sports fans, I'm in a unique spot to do that. And so I try and do that as much as possible when I have the opportunities to do that. And as a result, I think that it's earned me some respectability because I'm something different than the rest of... I'm not bashing anybody, but I I bring something to the table that almost nobody else in professional wrestling can bring. Mm.
0: I asked this to EC3. I'll ask you, too. Corrigan, obviously, has put a lot of effort towards the NWA. Being a a true athlete like yourself, is it difficult to take – obviously, Corrigan's a genius, right, musical genius. But is it difficult for an athlete like yourself to take direction from a non-athlete when it comes to professional wrestling? I mean, it's not like he's giving you music lessons, you right? You know,
2: if Billy's like, here's what you need to do. Like, I might take one more fight, potentially, before the end of the year um, for the Lights Out of Stream fighting heavyweight title, which is which was supposed to be my last fight, and I'm considering potentially doing. If Billy came in and tried to tell me what my game plan needed to be for that fight, I would probably laugh. But professional wrestling is not com- com- competitive combat sports. Professional wrestling is live theatrical performance. And if a performer like Billy Corgan told me, here's what I want to see out of you in this performance, mm. I'd be silly not to listen. Because okay. who am I in terms of a perf- competitive athlete fighting first, understandable. But you're talking about a guy who's toured around the world performing, given a different field of performance, but at the same time, it's performance. If a, if a performer of that magnitude gave me direction, particularly on a show, of here's what I want on my show, I would absolutely have no problem following that. Um, you know, and, and one thing that I would say that I think touches on, on what you're kind of trying to ask is if they were like, Hey, we want you to come in and lose to Kylie or like one of the girls or L envy or something like, how would you feel about that? I mean, I wouldn't be stoked because how, how, and realistically, how does a girl like that beat me? But if we can make it work, let's figure out how we can make it work. And I'm going to deliver on what you're asking. Right. Um, you know, because I'm a big fan of realism and at the same time protecting my brain because I do something stupid and now it takes away that entire mystique and that, but if that's what you want, let's figure out how to make that work, you know? So it's professional wrestling, it's theatrics, you know, I'm like, I, I just was claiming and boasting my like 40 and three singles record, but it doesn't fucking mean anything at the end of the day, it's fucking pro wrestling, you know, like, but at the same time, the perception of what that person is, you know, and if they want me to go and lose to like a Kylie or a, no, man, we We got
0: to get you in that match with EC3 and get that NWA title, man.
2: So. Yeah, I, I would, it would be an honor to be able to face off against a mentor like that, particularly having something like the 10 pounds of gold on the line.
0: You do some acting, too. There's some movies that the fans can see you in?
2: Yeah, so I've done a hand, nothing too big yet. I've been on a handful of TV shows. Like, The Kingdom was an MMA TV show. Uh, you'll see me throughout that, actually, in the background, doing a bunch of different extra work. Um, I've been to stunt driving school. I've choreographed a handful of like music videos and different things like that. Film is kind of the next chapter for me. Um, I've done a handful of things, and I'll still dabble in different film-related uh, projects. But fighting was really the foundation of my career. Pro wrestling is really the next stage of me becoming the best entertainer that I can be. And then maybe 10 years or so down the line, five. Who, who knows what opportunities open up but then eventually making my way into even more mainstream entertainment. One person that I would really like to emulate or be in a similar position to in life is where The Rock is today, Mm. where he's superseded wrestling now, he's like a movie star, but even beyond all of that, he uses his platform to go out and be a, a source of like influence and motivation and to like go after what you want in life, which in my opinion, at the end of the day is like what's your legacy is how would you impact the world when people say your name like what do they think like when I, when someone says blake troop do i want them to be like well he was the best fighter he's the best pro wrestler cool short short little high if i'm on my deck, but if somebody's like man you encouraged me to go after my dreams and to believe in myself that would make me feel that's a legacy that i'd want to live behind given i got to go and accomplish a handful of really cool things along the way and and I'd say selfish goals along the way to get there, but eventually utilizing the platform that I built to encourage other people to go do it. Because like I said, I'm, I don't feel like I'm any better than anybody else. I just feel like I know what I want. I've created a plan, and I fucking work harder than the majority of people. And I think what, it's just what people need. Figure out what you want, create a plan, and fucking bust your ass for it. And do it. It's that simple, but it ain't really that simple, but it kind of is. Where are
0: you tomorrow? Tell the fans where they can catch you. You're doing some analysis. So I'll be
2: working as a combat sports analyst for Flex Fight Series here in New York. Um, And that's tomorrow, Friday, June 12th, or January 12th, excuse me. Then on the 13th, you can catch me in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, squaring off against Joe Alonzo at the NWA's live event, Paranoia. And then the following day, the 14th, you can catch me in Tampa, Florida, doing TV tapings for NWA Power, baby. A full schedule for Bulletproof Trooper, baby. I'm locked, cocked, and ready to rock.
0: That's it, baby. I want to thank the great Blake Bulletproof Troop for being in studio. What a wonderful interview. Good luck tomorrow. Thank you again for honoring us and coming into this studio. I want to thank everybody. Catch the 30 at 730, and then I'm back on with... The author of Monster Mirror, the 100 hours spent with Son of Sam, David Berkowitz. Want to thank you again, sir.
2: I got to give a quick shout out to my man, Dude Gourmet, over here. He's sitting quietly on the couch he is next a quiet, to me. He's a he quiet. He's quiet. He made man. all this happen today. He picked me up from the airport today, had some fire torta sandwich for me. <laughs> Been making all kinds of Fire. It's good to see my man. Shout out to Dude Gourmet. And if you don't have any seasonings by Dude Gourmet yet, you need to head on over to their website and pick something up. We just had BLTs. What was it? Honey Chipotle? Honey Chipotle. Oh, it was so good. Go get yourself some Dude Gourmet, ladies and gentlemen.
0: Control your nutrition, right? Control your nutrition. Yep. We'll see you guys at 730. You have been watching Long Island's number one pro wrestling broadcast, Monty Nefaro. Only seen here out of indie music, TV. We'll see you at 7.30 with the 30 and 9 o'clock with the main show.